1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? of thousands of other super beings on the other planets he's destroyed, right? And we have to assume he's won. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and I am joined today by Mr. Michael Bailey. Hey, everybody. Hey, how you doing, Mike? I am fantastic, sir. It has been way too long. It, it absolutely has. And today I also brought in Mr. John Wilson. Hey, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. I'm glad you were available to make it, John. Welcome aboard. We are today going to look at Zack Snyder's Justice League. And Mike was an obvious choice because we did the previous version of Justice League uh, a while back, and we reviewed that. And I invited John to join us because I know John has a... And you know what? I haven't actually heard your take on this particular version, but I know you've had an appreciation for the Snyder vision going into this, and I Mm -hmm. thought you'd be able to bring that perspective with you. And I'm going to just be up front right with it is, you know, I sat and I watched this with my son last week, and I'm not going to sit here and blast it because there were a lot of things that I really enjoyed about this, and I did think it was a more cohesive, well-put-together film than the previous Justice League. So I'm going to get that out of the way right, right off the bat. I am not here to blast it. But I don't know that I'm going to have the level of appreciation for it that you do, and that's where I bro- decided to bring you in. Well, I appreciate the invite in either case. Um I don't really have a podcasting outlet for Superman thoughts these days. Um, so I just usually post really long threads on Twitter and Facebook and that's, <laughs> that's the extent of it. So getting the chance to kind of talk about this out here is, 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 uh, definitely appreciated. Ah, no problem. I'm glad you were able to make it, as I said. So, uh, my memory, we were just talking before we started to record. My memory is that when Michael and I reviewed this, we both appreciated, well, when we reviewed the first version of the Justice League, uh, we both appreciated it, and we both enjoyed it, and we both gave it you know, a general thumbs up, which is contrary to everything that you're reading on the internet right now from everybody else. Uh, <laughs> but not to be revisionist his- history, I don't think we ever said, oh, this is a great movie. I think we said we enjoyed this movie. And I do think there's a distinction there because I I think the movie was very inconsistent in how it was presented. And I think that goes hand in hand with the fact that it was one person's vision and then taken over by another. Fair? Uh, I think that's fair. The the problem is, is unlike you, because you you told us again before we started recording that you, you watched it twice and the last time you watched it was right before we talked about it, which was pretty soon after the film came out. Uh, I have watched it on numerous occasions. I watched it when it came out on Blu-ray, and I did the thing for, like, the first time, because I don't know if I've ever let anybody know this. I'm terrible at adopting new technology, so the idea of using those codes that come with your Blu-ray to get a digital copy never occurred to me until Justice League for some reason. So I watched it then and I, and I liked it. And it's like, this movie has had the most diminishing returns. And I think that's because the first time I saw it, I was in a very specific place as a fan of the cinematic Superman. And the fact that they were veering into more of what, I, as a fan, wanted to see, I think 
it kind of clouded my judgment a little on how haphazard and juvenile the movie really is. And the, the, the best way I can describe it is I wasn't a big fan of the new 52 Superman. I appreciated some of what was there, but it wasn't really what I would consider something that, you know, I would call my Superman. When they went into rebirth, they didn't just on a dime say none of that happened. We're going in this direction now. They killed the new 52 Superman. They brought in the pre-Flashpoint Superman and then spent like a year with his adventures before kind of retconning everything away. And what I appreciated about that is that it wasn't DC turning on a dime. It wasn't them saying, nope, nope, that was all a mistake. Now we're going in this direction. Because I think that type of swerve will never fully land with the audience. And I think that's what, what Whedon's Justice League was. I think they took too hard of a swerve with the material. And when you watch it, it doesn't feel like a superhero film from 2017. It feels like a superhero film from 1997. With the, with the Flash going, Dostoevsky, as he runs away from the Russian family, and Superman carrying an entire building. And it's just like, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, God, why did I like this? And, you know, mostly with movies, I tend to like movies better over time. <laughs> I don't usually love a movie and then dislike it over time. So this was an interesting exercise. So I think that's why when it came to the Snyder cut of Justice League, I was on record, uh, literally on record, saying, look, it's not my cup of tea, but it would have been better to let this man finish his vision because I'd rather watch what was intended to be than what a studio was doing to try to fix what they perceived as a problem. I, um, I saw it in the theaters and I came away from it feeling good. I am notoriously easily pleased. Um, they're going to write that on my tombstone. Pretty <laughs> sure. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it wasn't the sequel we were promised. It, it, it was a version of that story, but you can't watch Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and then 2017's Justice League and feel complete. It's, it's not the movie. Um, and that combined with all the, the, um, online fandom incited extra headspace that was taking up with the film and, and everything. I, I realized it's not at all the movie that I wanted and the things I did like about it started to feel like, like scraps from the table more than the actual movie that I wanted. So I just, I never watched it again. Um, I just, I don't know. So, you know, whenever they announced that this, Snyder cut was happening. Um, there was this, you know, immense sense of anticipation. Um, BVS promises a lot of future story. It, it definitely has you there investing in more story. It's in the freaking title, you know, Dawn of Justice. This is not just the sequel to Superman. 
this is the beginning of another story involving the Justice League. And it teases that in the title. It teases that with the flash forwards. It teases that with lots of different stuff. And you hold Superman dying at the end. You've got to have him come back. Um, so being able to knowing that I was going to be able to see that film um, was huge, was huge. And yeah, then it came out. And I'm just going to say this before we get into the, to the film. Um, my son just turned 12 like two weeks ago as we're recording this. And, you know, one of the things about Man of Steel and Batman v Superman is they're not super accessible for young minds. Um, they're, they're definitely not aimed at a young child's audience, not just for the type of story, but because of just the, the level of storytelling that's being, that's there. Uh, so I haven't really made an effort to bring him into these films, but Whenever we were getting ready for Zack Snyder's Justice League to come out, I was like, this would be a great chance to show it to him. And my fear was that he would watch these and just not be into them. Um, but over three weekends, we watched the three films. And although we didn't finish BVS in one night because it's kind of long and it was late and then he had to go the next day and we didn't get to finish it until the week later. Uh, he said multiple times that he was really enjoying that movie as it was going on. And then we spread justice league over two nights and he's like, dad, I freaking love this movie. And, um, and we talked about sequel possibilities and I had to, you know, give him the news that the, the future of the, you know, the, the likelihood of them following up on this was, mathematically not zero but pretty pretty darn small um but yeah so just just knowing that you know my son was able to access stories that i had a deep passion for and he also really enjoyed them that just was the icing on the cake and most of the cake itself yeah i think i really think that this is the movie that covid brought us though because i don't think it ever would have happened if it wasn't for the quarantining and the lack of ability for them to produce new material I think that inspired them to say, you know, what is this clamor people are, you know, making over this, this, this Snyder cut? And, and they looked into it and they found it was something that they could do. So I think, again, this is the movie that uh, COVID brought us. Uh, and, you know, going into the Whedon one, uh, my thing was I really didn't like BVS. I, I just, I really, really was bothered by the way Superman was portrayed in it. I, I felt he was kind of uh, given short shrift for whatever that's worth. So I liked, we, I think I liked the Whedon one because it, I thought it, it showed Superman with some respect that he didn't receive in the other uh, movie. Uh, and I'm not so sure that that maintains through this one, but that's, we'll get into that as we go on. Um, this one, I'm going to get my, my negatives out of the way right away, uh, just because I would rather allow you guys to uh, pontificate on the positives a little bit. But my, my two significant negatives are, I know it might be nitpicking, but it really bothered me that they had to put this in four by three ratio. I don't <laughs> think that was necessary. Uh, I, you know, and then to say it's, you know, to preserve Snyder's uh, vision. I, I think it is, is pandering to Snyder. Uh, I, I, my, my gut feeling is when they came to him, he said, screw it. Either you do everything the way I want to do it, or I'm not doing this at all. And 
that's why I, I just think it's a little pretentious that they had to go four by three. This was a movie that was, I know that, that he filmed it to show it in IMAX theaters, but the very, very large majority of the viewings of, of this were going to be in traditional theaters that do not have a four by three ratio. So every shot in this could have been cut to a, to, to a 16, nine so that the fact that almost, almost everybody at home has, has widescreen TV. Now it, it could have been shown to its best, you know, it's its best version for that home viewing instead of uh, pandering to Snyder. Now, that's my opinion on it. Whether you guys agree, I don't know, but I'll allow you to to, to give your opinions on that. I just know the. Oh, go ahead, John. <laughs> I was going to say, I just know the way he shot it. <laughs> so I don't know if there's a whole lot to be done about it four years after the fact. He, he wanted to show on IMAX. He, he said in an interview he was really. He, he thought that superheroes were a more vertical image than a horizontal image. He liked the idea of Superman standing tall in what he called, you know, the big tall square. And he, he planned to shoot it at IMAX, didn't shoot it in IMAX, but still wanted that sense of image. But it was it was off-putting to me at first, but I stopped thinking about it about 30 seconds into the film. It stayed with me through the whole thing. My, my son looked over at me a couple times. He said, you're still bothered by the 4 by 3 thing, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, it's still bothering me. So I'm, you know, I've got, you know, I'm stuck in the middle with you guys uh, in all of this because on one hand, yeah, exactly. On one hand, I'm like, this is a little pretentious. On the other hand, I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's kind of how he saw it. The the thought I kept having, because like John, because I was watching it on my phone, I didn't really notice it after a while, uh, mainly because I got really, really engrossed in the story. And what, but the, the thought I kept having was, is remember like from like the early two thousands to about 2011, 2012, like headphones got smaller and smaller and smaller. Like, you know, when the, when the iPod came out, they had the white ear earbuds basically, and everyone started following suit with that. And it seemed like what we were trying to do as a people was go smaller and smaller with what we listen. And suddenly Dre drops the Beats headphones. And suddenly everyone, it's like 1977 again, and everyone's got these clamshells on their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what this feels like to me. We, we have tried to, my God in heaven, go as widescreen as humanly possible. And Zack Snyder's like, nope, I want to watch it like it's on my TV. When I was a kid, when it was a square. So it's it's like one of those things where it's weird to me. I think it's a little pretentious. On the other hand, it's not my movie, and I didn't notice it after a while. Okay. Fair enough. I just, like I said, I, I, I still, my, my feeling still is that no matter how he filmed it, they were going to show it on white, in a widescreen version to the to the biggest audience so there's no reason that they couldn't have done that with this uh but okay <laughs> you know it is what it is so uh, at some point I, I i did settle in and say i just have to let that go um the other thing about it is i think this four-hour movie could have easily been a three-hour movie and maintained its integrity oh this movie would never have been i mean <laughs> All of this footage that existed in 2017, this is not the movie that we were going to get. 
this is like the at-home director's cut DVD version of that film. Yes. I, I, yeah, he he would have trimmed this down for an actual theatrical release. This is the this is the extra long indulgent version, or the um, the way it's, it often is framed nowadays. This is the this is how I really want to do it, but the studios won't let me because of expectations in theaters. That's how a lot of director's cuts are usually framed. Right, um, and I think and I think there was a little bit more of what I said where Snyder said, uh, "If you want me to do this, we're doing it my way, or we're not doing it at all." And when they originally announced it, it was going to be a mini series, which they could have easily done with the way they broke this thing into chapters. Mm-hmm. So it, it could have it could have easily been a mini series event instead of dropping it all at the same time. I think ultimately the reason they didn't drop it all at the same time is what just came out on HBO Max. Yeah, for anybody listening, Godzilla versus Kong. So I don't think they wanted the big, you know, like the the next chapter of Justice League having to go up against the other big release they want to see some traction on on their streaming service. So it it kind of made more sense just to drop it all at once. And, you know, I, I remember back when Batman v Superman was coming out and again, because fandom is terrible there was this whole thing like, oh, they're dropping Daredevil on the same weekend. Batman v Superman's coming out. What's that going to mean? It means that people are going to go to the theater and see Batman v Superman and then come home and binge Daredevil. Yeah, that's exactly what it meant. You know, this is this isn't even this is this isn't even like apples and and oranges. This is apples and mercury. I mean, it just, <laughs> they have nothing to do with each other. So. So dropping it all at once, doing it as a miniseries, it really doesn't matter because it's a streaming service. Right. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, I, I kind of felt when I was watching it, you know, we, we, we said we're going to watch this over several sittings. We're not going to sit down for four hours straight. Uh, just knowing my own, uh, you know, ever, ever getting older body. Uh, if we sat down for a four-hour movie at some point, you know, my son would look over and I'd be sawing wood. Uh, so, you know, we, we knew we'd have to break it up. We we uh, for, we started off with we were going to do four one-hour sessions, but we ended up managing to do it in three because we did end up getting into it at some point. But I have to say the first two chapters, I, I think the third chapter is when they showed the, uh, you know, the, the flashback to the previous war with Darkseid. Uh and that was when it really picked up as far as I was concerned. Like when we watched the first two chapters, I walked away saying, this is going to be a slog. I'm going to watch all four hours of this because I feel like I need to, but I'm not going to enjoy this. And I did turn around <laughs> as we went on past that, you know, in, into the third and fourth and fifth and sixth chapters. Uh, but I started off not very, uh, not very optimistic about what I was watching. I actually had um, the ex- oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, you go first. I actually had the exact same uh, reaction to it, and it's not like it was bad because I, I watched this and then I rewatched Man of Steel, Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition, and then watched it again. So obviously, I saw something in this cut. <laughs> if I'm going to watch it twice in two weeks, but what I the, the the problems I had 
and I'm going to put problems in quotes with the initial chapters, wasn't that I thought they were bad. I just felt that the pacing for my sensibilities was really slow. And I'm like, ah, oh, we're just, we're just, we're just doing this, aren't we? Even, even like the big action sequence seemed kind of slow, but then right around like the hour, hour 15 mark, this film just grabbed me and would not let go. But I had the exact same reaction, Paul, uh, that you did. Yeah. In, in that first hour or so, I thought you could have easily cut half an hour out of that. You know, when, when I'm talking about doing some judicious editing, I, I think there was a lot of very slow moving parts in that beginning uh, and a lot of scenes that were just, you know, for lack of a better word, seemed self-indulgent. Uh, you know, we, we see Aquaman standing there for what felt like an eternity before he finally just dove into the water. You know, it, it's just it was it was a little much for me in the beginning. The movie's kind of on a curve, I think, where you're 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 um, a slow build, but then as it builds, it also like kind of takes off. Um, as a math teacher, I'm picking an exponential curve and it's swooping up. Anyways, um, I really dug the first hour, but yeah, it is it is a gradual storytelling, but that's where you've got Bruce, you know, gathering, trying to unite the seven, meeting with mixed results, and I love the Amazon stuff. Um, I was I was roped in from the get go. Um, a lot of what we got there was stuff that it was the same story in the, in the other version, but it was refilmed and told differently. And so you don't get the line in this that was oft touted in the trailers of, I hear you're a guy who talks to fish. You know, you get, you know, Bruce having a much more serious conversation with a, with a much less rock star, Jason Momoa, uh, mm-hmm. Aquaman. Um, as that not to get off topic, but that was a part. Of, one of the parts that surprised me the most is since Rockstar Aquaman kind of took over the characterization and became his solo film as well. It's kind of what I was expecting, and and I didn't realize how much of that was new. Because uh, sure, you get my man during the fight at the end, but that's that's about it. Um, he's he's a very different characterization in this, and I dug it, but um. But yeah, I did not have a problem enjoying or or being roped into the first bit, um, the Wonder Woman sequence enthralled me, uh, where she's going at, at super speed and taking out the hostages and saving the, uh, taking out the hostages. Yeah, Wonder Woman's gonna go kill some kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> taking out the terrorists. Saving the hostages, flying this is the into future the future. Liberals want. Right? This is. You thought the nightmare was the future? Oh no! Just wait. The future has taken root in the present. Um. So yeah, she flies into the air and throws the bomb in the air, and then she's like, you know, the little girl who's still uncertain is like, you know, are you okay, princess? Just I don't know. I love Gal Gadot's portrayal of. And the the Amazon fight brought to my mind a little bit of controversy that this film had back when it was being filmed. Um, my daughter was in high school whenever the first one came out and she, uh, she fought a long, hard war with dress code policies at her high school. She and her assistant principal were bitter rivals until the very end. Um, Cause you know, my daughter thought 
probably, I think very correctly, that trans codes are very sexist, and she was always pushing it and always breaking it because she didn't think it was right. So anyways, whenever they released the video, the picture of the new Amazon design with uh, the Redriff costumes, there was definitely some discussion about that. And, um, you know, it turns out the actresses in those roles were bodybuilders. They were actually showing off muscle. And you didn't even notice it in the filming, except for those two women who were, like, holding up the holding up the stone gate at the end, and they're, like, totally ripped and holding up this 5,000-ton stone. And that's the only time I ever noticed that they were in their um, the midriff design costumes. But, but, yeah, the whole Amazon thing at the beginning I thought was fantastic. And I loved at the end when they were, like, we can send this message of distress like men won't know what this is anymore. But Diana's mom is like, she'll know, she'll know what it is. Yeah. Now I, I gotta say, I, I did enjoy the way Snyder presented Wonder Woman in this. And I thought she was the highlight of Batman V Superman. Um, I, you know, I really enjoyed the first Wonder Woman movie but I really did not enjoy Wonder Woman 1984. And seeing this, I kind of would have liked to have seen what Snyder might have done with, with the, the opportunity to do the sequel there. Uh, because I just, like I said, I felt, I felt that one really felt, fell flat as far as I was concerned. Uh, but we're not here to review that one. We're here to review this one. Uh, one of my criticisms of Zack Snyder films up to this point and I have to say, he did not uh, go true to form as far as I was concerned. But one of my criticisms has been that I thought he knew how to direct a decent action sequence and he knew how to create a very striking image on the screen, but that he did not go out of his way to pull a solid acting performance out of his actors. He was more concerned with them hitting their marks and, and being in the right position at the right time. In this one, I did not feel that there was any of that type of performance that I've seen. Every one of his other movies, I could point to, to a line reading that just sounded flat and soulless. And I didn't think we got at that in this. I thought all the actors did kind of bring their A game to this one. And the, I'm curious what you guys think on that. The thing about this movie that surprised me the most is how different it feels from the other two superhero films he's given us in this universe. Man of Steel, and, and maybe it was because of the Nolan influence on the production side, Man of Steel felt like, okay, this is Batman Begins, but for Superman. We're taking this very realistic approach to this character and going in this completely different direction and tone than what you're used to. And then everyone thought about it. And then he did Batman v Superman, which felt like I really like Frank Miller's Batman. And I really want to put as much of that on the screen as possible. And I also want to present a Batman that isn't at the beginning of his career. This is a Batman 20 years in when he's basically lost hope. And because he's at this particular nexus of his career, when Superman makes his first appearance, he has the exact wrong response to who Superman is. And you have Wonder Woman in there as well. But that film is basically about Batman 
thinking that Superman is a danger and sounding like Dick Cheney at one point in the film with the 1% line, which is almost a direct quote from Dick Cheney, by the way. I I saw that recently and I went, that's really weird that they did that, that specifically. But then you have Superman looking at Batman and going, this dude is dangerous. No one talks about that, by the way. I have seen zero analysis of Superman's problems with Batman in that movie. Everyone talks about Batman's problems with Superman, but that's not what we're here to discuss today. But it was a very dark movie. And it was dark on purpose. Uh, Andy Leyland, mutual friend of everybody here, likened it to kind of Empire Strikes Back, basically. So then you have this movie which felt like a Jeff Johns story. And I don't mean that in a bad way, and that's not to <laughs> to basically say, you know, Jeff Johns tells these stories better than Zack Snyder. That's not my point at all. It's more that I'm shocked that this is the story Zack told, chose to tell. Because, and here's the other thing that surprises me about it. Jeff Johns had more creative input in the Whedon cut, and that didn't feel like a Jeff Johns story, the one that it was Zack Snyder and Chris Terrio feels more like the new 52 Justice League put on screen than the Whedon cut. And I don't know how that's physically possible. I, it's just it just boggled my mind. But I was just shocked at how what was one of the things that everyone said about the Whedon cut? Oh, we didn't put in all those jokes. Were you guys surprised at how much of the humor that was attributed to Whedon was it actually Zack Snyder's? Because I, I was. I definitely was. <laughs> like, I had, the, the, the main thing I knew about the Whedon jokes was the Flash landing on uh, Wonder Woman. And I was like, yeah, that, that definitely sounds like a Joss Whedon joke. And I was happy that it was not here. Yeah, but the, you know, what's your superpower? I'm rich. Uh, you know, dress like a bat. Okay. And the well, how did you get the how did you get the uh, the house back from the bank? <laughs> I bought the bank. So now I can actually feel I could say in this movie what I said in the previous one, Bruce. Why weren't you paying attention to what was happening to Martha, anyways? <laughs> I owe this man everything, so I'm going to completely ignore his mother. <laughs> what the hell, Bruce? Still don't understand why you had to buy the bank. Just buy the house. Buy the house from the bank. It's a comic. It's a comic book. He bought the bank. Bruce Bruce has got a flex, y'all. I mean, that's just that's just how it is. It's like it's like I think Bruce. I I think the one thing we could say about Zack Snyder's Bruce Wayne is that he overcompensates for everything. Bruce Wayne has always been like a major diva, and it definitely shows in this. (laughs) Like like it isn't enough to honor Superman's memory. No, I'm going to form the super team and we're going to bring him back from the dead. That's what we're going to do, everybody. As soon as that became an option, he was on it. He's like, wait, we can do that? Bro. Bro. (laughs) But but it's just, Bruce Wayne was so laid back in this movie while still being intense. He was, he looked like he was having a good time, like through most of it. And, I loved that because looking at the Whedon cut, they like had Bruce on like the suicide mission. And in this one, you don't get that at all. He is just trying to do 
what he said he was going to do at the end of the last movie. So it feels like more of a continuation of the story that we had been given instead of this, you know, new showrunner coming in and changing the entire series, essentially. And I, I just I could not believe at how much of this film was so unlike the previous movie. Like it's not, it's literally night and day. It it. Mm-hmm. No question about it. It doesn't feel, even though there's so many scenes that are, you know, mirrors of each other, you know, whether they were refilmed or not, uh, it doesn't feel like it's the same movie. Mm -mm. Uh, Now, one of the things about it, and it is, it's heavily criticized, and I would say I would fall on the critical side of it, but it doesn't, it didn't really, you know, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the movie is it does have a very subdued color palette. Um, and I think it could. It, it, this this parts in it that would have done well to be a little brighter, uh, but it, you know that wasn't a killer as far as I was concerned. Uh, you know that's part of his vision. I have to say I just loved getting to see Darkseid on the screen. He was so amazing. Um, one of the things coming into this because they would release you know shots of characters and whether the CGI is good or bad. CGI gets so heavily criticized, not necessarily negatively criticized, just like eyeballs are on it. I'm going to examine this picture really hard. Um, and, you know, whether it was Steppenwolf with his, I'm going to wear living knives today, or or Darkseid. Um, and they don't tell you, oh, this is Desaad talking through like some sort of molten lava granite thing. They just released the image of the face and people were like, wait a second, what, what the, the frog's going on with this? Cause this is not the CGI I was looking for. Um, and then you get there and it all, all works out. But I loved the look of dark side sitting in his throne. Um, and both uh, at the end when he's actually present in the story, but also earlier when he's like teased because Cyborg sees a little bit of future and that sort of thing. Um, and we see Darkseid like killing all the superheroes or people who are important to them. And, and that was, you know, Darkseid on film in my, in my Superman read through. Um, Cause not to flex, but I've been working on every Superman comic from the beginning and I've gotten up to 1984, which is when they re-released Jack Kirby's new gods as a reprint series before Jack Kirby finished the story. Um, so I've been reading that and it's really funny to see Darkseid walking around in his purple and blue shorty short jumpsuit thing <laughs> <laughs> after having seen this on screen. And I've seen the Super Friends seasons, you know, Challenge of the Super Friends, is it? Where it's Darkseid. Uh, and he's like, runs away from the opening credit sequence at the very end of the opening credits. Yeah. And he, yeah. There's that. And then there's this guy. This is Uxus, you know, with all of his regalia. And it's just, I don't know. Can I say, though, that I would love to get, like, Frank Welker to dub some of the lines? <laughs> Just to hear that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, not to make fun of the film, just for my own petty amusement, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I have the... a uh, distinct memory, years back, of speaking to you, Michael, uh, me, you, and Scott, on Back to the Bins, when the Avengers, the first Avengers movie came out. And one of the things that we talked about was how Marvel just trumped DC 
mm-hmm. by showing Thanos at the end of the movie and how now it was going to be impossible for DC to focus on Darkseid. And taking into account that we've now had Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, where, Dark, where, where Thanos was you know, front and center. I mean, Infinity War is really his movie. Uh, and they showed Darkseid here in a way where he was distinct from Thanos, and yet every bit as powerful and maniacal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, it was one of the things that I was worried about back then. But here's the thing, and, and this is going to sound weird. And again, this isn't me saying one is better than the other when I'm making this comparison. But, but we're going to read if, it that way anyway, by the way. Uh, certain people are. <laughs> um, I think that Batman v Superman and Captain America Civil War have the same basic structure as films. If I told you that the movie was about the two biggest heroes of the universe having an argument while a villain pulls the strings in the background and they introduce a new hero from another country in it, which movie am I talking about? Right. So that is not to say I have my own personal preference, but that is not to say that one is any more valid than the other. This movie was just like, okay, what if I told you (laughs) that... This movie is about a group coming together because this all-powerful being that wants to consume half the universe is now zeroing in on Earth for some reason. You know, anti-life equation, infinity stones. It's kind of almost similar. But the thing that I loved about this is they took that Liam Neeson-looking piece of crap from Whedon's cut of Steppenwolf and actually made him, one a formidable villain and two gave him a personality beyond just, I am here to look imposing and kind of like Liam Neeson, like his whole thing about just wanting daddy to take him. Yes. He's got the (laughs) tears in his eyes. Every time he talks to the son, he's just like, please, Please let me go home. Would you, would you tell Would you tell Darkseid that I love him? Please. He's not, he's not accepting any of my messages on Twitter right now. Does, does Dad ever I've talk been about DMing me? him all week? <laughs> but I loved him. I liked him as a villain in this. And mm-hmm. when they got to that flashback, and Darkseid was the one everyone was fighting. The only thing I would have wanted in that. And I realize why they did it, but I am still disappointed that the dude wielding the lightning wasn't Shazam. I think that just would have been awesome. Uh, But watching Ares drive an effing axe into Darkseid's shoulder and it starts bleeding profusely. Is that when they kept him from getting the the power ring? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was like because he chopped off the Green Lantern's hand. And the power ring flits away and Ares steps up like a boss. Like when I watched that fight for the second time, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so much better than what we got in the original theatrical cut. This is actually something that I want to see because Ares at the end of that fight has had enough of everyone's crap. He's just like, no, no, we're putting this down now. (laughs) We did not get all of these people together to have this guy win. So I'm stepping up, and 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 and, it, and it's funny to think that he's the villain in the Wonder Woman film. 
Mm. So, I, 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 one of the things I found amusing there was the, was when they when they finally did win that battle. Okay, you know the the uh, what you call it the you know underwater they they build like a fortress to put the uh, mother box in, and then you know on a, on the Amazons also build like a fortress, and then the people say, okay, we'll dig a hole and throw it in there. <laughs> Put a little dirt on it. No one will ever find it. Yeah. But it was seeing, the worst hiding ever. But seeing Desaad and seeing Darkseid and seeing Granny Goodness, it lit something inside of me. I am of the opinion that most of the characters that I respond to as an adult still are the ones that I had action figures of as a kid. Mm. So the fact that I had a superpowers dark side figure and I had a Calabac and I had a Desaad and I had a Paradinan, you know, seeing those things presented on the screen in the way that they were and treated as like credible threats. Now I'll agree with Paul to a certain extent that I thought the muted color palette both was appropriate and yet took away something for me personally but seeing Desaad be Desaad and then seeing Darkseid show up and have the giant fight and then just sit there and look imposing at the end of the film, I'm like, you know, this is this is what we should have gotten in the first place. And just having Steppenwolf show up and then get beaten because he gets afraid. Oh, God. Again, is this 1997, y'all? Is this is this the level of superhero movies that we're doing? The guy that gave us two great Avenger films, this is the best he can do. I just, man, Warner Brothers dropped the ball on this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, because he, he did give us some real good Avengers stuff. And I'm wondering if maybe, you know, to some extent his, his creative hands were tied with trying to work with what was already there. And, and you know, instead of having to just, you know, recreate the wheel from the beginning, uh you know, I, I I think creating your own vision is different than taking someone else's vision and trying to mold it to your own. Yeah, I so. don't envy the guy his task. Um, you know, let's remember the reason he did this is because Snyder literally couldn't continue because of family mm-hmm. trauma. So he, he, he left. He walked away to go grieve. Um, so they hand, you know, four hours plus of filmed footage to Joss Whedon and say, go make the movie. And I wouldn't want that job, despite the fact that I know nothing about making movies. But, you know, that just seems like such a daunting task. And also Whedon's and Snyder's sensibilities couldn't be more diametrically opposite. So you've got this guy who's got to make a movie that he didn't film on a a sentimental, uh, uh, not sentimentality, but um, sensibility palette that's not his. So, yeah. The film we got wasn't great. The job he had was pretty hard. Now, we're we're having this conversation in the wake of a whole bunch of not great discussions about Joss Whedon. So yes. I don't want to I don't want to give the guy too much sympathy because evidently there's a lot of not good going on there. But that's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> I'm not, just saying that for this I, task, <laughs> I don't know how much. Uh, Zack Snyder walked away from it or how much of it the studio was acting as an opportunist and said 
why don't you walk away because we're getting too much negative buzz on, you know, BVS and, and we're now we're afraid. Uh, I, I kind of got the feeling that, that, you know, and, and this is not to belittle uh, Zack Snyder's reaction to his daughter's tragedy. Uh, my, my opinion on a personal level is everybody deals with tragedy. They are tragic, excuse me. Everyone deals with tragedy in their own personal way. And it's not to put on a show for everybody else of how upset you are. So yeah. if, if he, if he was able to soldier on and kind of work through it because that helped him to get through, I totally respect that. Whereas you hear other people say, oh, you know, how could you do this when your daughter, whatever, you know, I, I don't think anybody has a right to judge how anybody else grieves. Uh, but I, I got more of an impression that the studio kind of, you know, flexed their muscles a little bit on that and decided to kind of push him out. And I, maybe I, this, I'm sorry, Mike, you haven't talked yet. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I, I think the one consistent factor in all of these films is that Warner brothers, for whatever reason, could never commit to, letting the vision that they started go forward. You know, to be, people say don't compare it to the Marvel movies. I, I think it's inevitable to compare it to the Marvel movies because Marvel and DC have had comparisons since Marvel and DC have been Marvel and DC. So that's just, it's just how it, it's just how it is. But Marvel, when they started their film series, you know, they, they had a strong vision and you see a turn at one point, but they committed to that turn. Whereas Man of Steel comes out, and because it's not the rock everybody's church is built on, they do BVS, which again is the source of controversy amongst people talking about it. <laughs> Maybe it's the most charitable way I could say that. But instead of looking at that going, okay, there was some pushback against this, but we have to let this guy finish his story. No, they didn't do that. They went, no, we've, we've got to retool this whole thing because it should never have been let to get this far in the first place. Or at least that's the feeling that I got. And the fact that they used a tragedy to fulfill that is disgusting on a level that I can't even describe. I just, I think, you know, I, I know that the release, the Snyder Cut people have some very good people in their ranks, and they also have people that doxed a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a problem with that, with that fandom in that every time you bring that up, the bad actors up, they go, well, we raised money for suicide awareness. Look, that's great. I'm glad you did that. It's, it is it, mental health is shockingly under talked about in this country. So I'm glad you were able to do that. You can still do that and say, this is bad and stop doing it. But the guys on the other side of that equation F you for like celebrating the fact that Zack Snyder stepped away from this film for the reasons that he did. And Warner Brothers seemingly using that as as like they're like it like finally we have an excuse to get rid of this guy. Wow, that's impressive in its douchebaggery. <laughs> and I, I haven't read any 
quotes. All, all I've been working on is, is you know, internet hearsay and one fan says one thing and if people retweet it, everybody believes it. So I really don't know, but I can imagine that maybe the, the negative energy momentum in the wake of BVS had WB a little bit apprehensive of three more of these films. And so whenever Zach had to step away, possibly he was looking to come back in a year and they're like, no, we need this film out in 17. Like we said, we would, what are you going to do? And if that's the case and that's really, really horrible and that's, you know, forcing him to make a a choice. But um, I just, I don't know. In any case, uh, we, we are here four years later with this, with this really cool film. And, and I, I don't know. What do y'all think? Do y'all think there's a snowball's chance in Peru that this thing is going to make a sequel? I don't, but I never say never because if you asked me a year ago, if we'd ever see the Snyder cut, well, I don't know, maybe a little more than a year ago, but if you had asked me, you know, a while back, if you asked me if we'd ever see the Snyder cut, I would have said, I seriously doubt it. Um, I don't know that there's going to be enough of a groundswell to, uh, you know, to, to warrant them making a, a sequel to this. And I have mixed feelings, and we should talk about that last scene. Y'all, <gasps> uh, y'all, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but just apropos of this exact thing, they've canceled the New Gods. Yeah, I saw that earlier today. And they're saying it's because of this movie. Really? Yeah, the, the 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 official announcement was unless it's an April Fool's thing, which I don't think it is. Uh, the official announcement basically was because we just had Darkseid in this movie, they want some distance before they produce something else with Darkseid in it, which makes zero sense to me. But you know, whatever. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. Or, mm-hmm. or I mean. <laughs> I don't, again, I don't think they're going to do a sequel to this, but if they were going to, then that would make that decision make more sense. But to to answer the question, uh, I'm like, I'm like Paul, I never say never. I would have told you back in 2016 that they would never do a TV series with Tyler Hecklin Superman. And yet Mm -hmm. here we are (laughs) five episodes in and it's fantastic. I watched so, episode two today, and I've got your your podcast episode about it queued up. So, oh, oh, thank you. Um, but I never say never. I think chances are unlikely. But there have been we've had we've had within like the same like a couple of years, both Avengers Endgame and Crisis on Infinite Earths happen, like. Anything's possible. Like yeah. anything's possible. That's why you never point. say never. Yeah, you you can't. It's just it's just it's. This is why I love the line: "Nothing's impossible. Things are improbable." It's improbable that it will happen, but it's not impossible. <laughs> but now that that last, I find that last scene to be fascinating because yeah. just just from the background point of view, I find it fascinating on the screen, but I also find it fascinating behind the screen. Because uh, that's the one thing, as far as what I heard, that's the one thing that they filmed strictly yes. for this release. 
that it was not existing footage. And all that these and actors the, came the, back the Bruce Manhunter conversation. I'm sorry, what was the other thing? The Bruce Manhunter conversation at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but other than that, basically the last 10 minutes of the film are the only new stuff. Mm-hmm. But like just, just the fact that all these actors came back to do this, I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now, truth be told, I do not in any way like the Jared Leto Joker. I, I, I would have I preferred they had any other pro- – they could put Cesar Romero up there and I would have been happier with it. Uh, but – I kind of liked the way he was characterized there. Uh, just, you know, just, just a raving lunatic in the background like that. Uh, that, you know, Batman was the one who wanted to bring him along, according to uh, Deathstroke. Uh, just, you know, how we got to that scene. There's just so much there that, you know, in, in that just couple of minutes that it does make me very very curious to see what a sequel would be well the the sequel would have been superman being the villain essentially which and i don't Snyder like that. Has said that in, in, in I, I have to say i don't like that well well he, he, here's and and actually i'm gonna let john go first because I, i'm dying to hear his thoughts on it so you have a you have basically the setup for a two-part film coming up um and you know i I am very much of the opinion that comics have given us a heck of a lot of story fodder of a variety of takes on characters. And um, if you're going to tell me that we're going to explore a future where Lois dies and Superman loses it, I'm like, okay, I read that in 1991 Um, or I'm reading it again and injustice right now. Uh, And, you know, there, there's definitely comics support for it. So I think that if we hadn't gotten this movie, BVS leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions. If we don't get another sequel, if we just have this movie, we at least have answers to the questions and we kind of have an idea of the structure of what the story was going to be. Um, and how would we get to the end of that story? I don't know probably not just saving the day, but also sort of undoing the day because you, you can't have a post-apocalyptic world. Even if you kill the apocalypse, you still have a devastated planet. So probably they would have found a way to go back in time and flash and cyborg their way back to a happy world. Um, but the idea of exploring a Superman that's gone um, evil and bringing him back to, to, um, my brain's want to say justice, but that's not the right word. Bring him back to a state of, of heroism. They did that with Batman in the second movie. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I would I would want to see that movie. I'd want to see the emotional ride that, that Snyder would take us on. Because for me, he's, he's pretty great at the emotion behind these heroes. And I would want to see it. But um, I don't know. We're, we're, whether we get that or not, I don't know. So my my issue with the epilogue uh, isn't how it was done. It was it was it was it was a perfectly well written, well acted scene. Uh, it was interesting seeing those characters thrown into the situation they were thrown into. 
I am not a prude by any stretch of the imagination. I felt the F-bomb was more to be there than for story purpose. Uh, because I don't see how it really added anything to the scene. I think it's just because they wanted to do it, so they did it. Uh, you know, and, and that falls under, okay, that's just not my thing, fine. Uh, I would I like, love to live in a world where nobody cared about that word anymore, and it was just a word. But yeah, that's just I, me. I, I would too, but that's not the world we live in. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I'm not a prude. I, I, I think the F-bomb... Uh, when done right, no can defend, uh, to quote Mr. Miyagi. Uh, I, th- I think it is a good I, – I, th- I think it's something that can be used for comedic effect and for emphasis. And I think it was used for emphasis here, but it felt a little off. Uh, but having said all that, I liked the interplay between Affleck's Joker and Leto's – I mean Affle- Affleck's Batman and Leto's Joker – uh, and you know, him going, don't push it. It's like, what did you think he was going to do, Bruce? He's the Joker. It's his <laughs> thing. He pushes it. But the problem I have is that we had, and this is strictly speaking as a Superman guy from my own personal perspective of that. I, I hate that I have to keep making those like qualifications, but I want to make it really clear that I'm not speaking for all of Superman fandom when I say anything about Superman. But it seems like when you do when you say anything, you, it's like you're you're trying to speak for everybody, and I'm not. Uh, but from my perception of how I like to see the character, we got a movie where he was created, a movie where most of the characters in the film didn't like him and were actively trying to kill him, and he dies. And at the end, that's when everyone goes, "Oh, he was great," and. Then we get a film where he comes back and you're telling me that the very next film, he's going to be the bad guy. It's just like, you just brought him back. (laughs) We just got him. (laughs) John and I had a conversation years ago. And I think it's when you were, it wasn't when you were visiting for BVS. It was when you came for that random weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget when that was, but it, it wasn't it wasn't for BVS. We were sitting there and I said, I think BVS would have gone down better with me if we had another Superman film between the two. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel the same way here. Like this, this shouldn't have been super. If they were going to do the sequel and have him be the bad guy, it shouldn't have been Superman's next cinematic appearance. They needed I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I, at least I think I agree with you, uh, because I always felt that you had that first movie where we had the new Superman, you know, in Man of Steel, and then we needed a movie where he was the hero of the people before we started breaking him down. And what we got was the next movie. Uh, we were just told that he was the hero of the people, and they started breaking him down. I think we needed. I think we needed to have a little bit more of a rise. I think that needed to be just a little bit more organic than it was, uh, for me personally, at least. He I, seems I, to be. He seems ahead, to be banking on. Um, he seems to be banking on cultural uh, awareness or, or cultural. Just the fact that Superman is a hero being part of our literature, I guess. I don't know if that's his the collective intention. unconscious. Yeah, because. You're right. He 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 brings in the character, and then he's like, and then eighteen months later, 
after he's been a hero for a long time, Lex Luthor comes along and messes everything up. And so he tells the pivot point. And then the, he uh, Justice League is kind of sort of another pivot point, but also kind of part of the same one where you, A, bring Superman back, but also bring the League together. Mm-hmm. And so maybe between movies three and four, we would say, oh, and then the Justice League went off and had many adventures, and it was pretty great. There was probably a giant starfish involved, but we don't talk about that very much. <laughs> um, and then we get the next pivot point of, okay, things are going really badly now. So it's it's like he is taking for granted the kinds of stories that we all really want to see because he wants to tell the elbow joints where things take a left turn. And for what it's worth, that's kind of the sense that I get from the choices he's making the stories. Because I, the I love BBS. I know Paul said he doesn't love it. I I I have a deep passion for that film that I've ranted on on, on occasions. Um, but my one storytelling choice that I would change about that film is give us something that shows Superman being loved by the people. Because the first thing you do in BVS is give the world reason to stop loving him. And that's the conversation for the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. And it flavors all of the scenes we do see of him saving the world. We see lots of Superman heroics. We see lots of public people loving him. But it's all colored by, must there be a Superman? How are we going to deal with this person uh, with all this power if he's you know, going to kill people in Africa? Which he didn't do, but you know that's what they think. Which, which is also why I think one of the dumbest, one of the other dumb decisions that Warner Brothers made is that they did not release that ultimate cut as the theatrical cut. Because I, I am on record as not liking that film for various reasons. But I will tell you this: when I watched the ultimate cut the first time, and when I rewatched it a couple days ago, I enjoyed the story of the movie more when I was given more of that story, mm-hmm. when they fully explain, because the theatrical cut really isn't clear about why Congress is mad at Superman. It, 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 it sort of is, but it's not. But the, the, the ultimate edition not only explains why they are, but it shows Clark Kent investigating it and like getting to the bottom of it and seeing why is this woman stepping forward who is she and then we you know in the movie we see her murdered by the KG beast which is just amusing to me on several levels i mean that guy cannot stop getting his ass kicked by superheroes i mean captain america took him out in an elevator batman blew him up i mean oh he Lord. was the strike guy wasn't he yeah yeah he was um. <laughs> He was he was in the elevator with Cap in in, in Winter Soldier, absolutely. Uh, but um, so I think my other problem with it, it with the idea of what the sequel was going to be, which we saw bits and pieces of in this film, so I feel it's relevant to talk about, is I am tired just as a longtime reader of Lois's death being the point where Superman gets broken as a person. Uh, I don't think it speaks well for Lois because it just turns her then into almost a woman in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the thing about this movie is that as much as I loved seeing Amy Adams, like all of the film is just 
and and it's justified. So don't take what I'm about to say as me not realizing that I know what that I didn't realize what was going on. But it's her like dealing with the grief of of Superman's loss. And once he's back, we don't see her at all. Mm-hmm. She is gone from that movie. And it also is why it bothered me that the scene with Martha was the Martian Manhunter. Because that just bugged me. I wanted mm-hmm. to see a genuine scene between the two of them. And the one we got was Martian Manhunter in disguise. Can we call him then Martha Manhunter? <laughs> Martha. Now, I, I heard Martha. that, that <laughs> Whedon, uh, no, Whedon Snyder actually wanted to use Green Lantern. Uh, the mm-hmm. John Stewart Green Lantern in, in that role. I'm not sure. I believe that was for the that was for the last scene with Bruce. That was supposed yeah. to be a John Stewart Green Lantern scene. Oh, okay. The Green Lanterns come to Earth yeah. and say, "Hey, we're here to help." And, and 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 let's also kind of not ignore the fact that Martian Manhunter was standing right there twice when serious crap was going down and did jack all. <laughs> yeah, that's a good he point. Like, like in Man of Steel, whenever Swanwick is just like watching everything, yeah. And then in BVS, when Doomsday hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, speaking of Doomsday, and I just want to throw this out there because it's something I noticed. At one point in Batman v Superman, Doomsday comes down a building and then jumps out of the destruction. Aquaman pulls the same move. I am wondering if they just had that previs ready and they just put Aquaman on it for it just because they had it at the ready anyways. Doomsday doesn't shake out his luscious locks, though, at the end of it. That's the difference. Doomsday doesn't have luck- luscious locks. He's got- <laughs> but should he, though? That's the question. <laughs> he kind of did in the comics. He had that. He had that right? <laughs> so, but no, I, I, I just that was one of the parts of the movie, because I, I'm going to say this. And I, no one is more shocked that these words are about to come out of my mouth. I loved this movie. When I got to the end of this movie, even though I didn't like where it was heading, I was still, I got the same feeling from this movie that I got watching Avengers Infinity War. Mm. And they both have kind of a similar vibe to them as well. This movie is like Infinity War and Endgame put together because it also has the one thing I hate, hate as a storytelling device. No, we're going to use time travel to undo what we just did. Oh, man, you just could. You wrote yourself into a corner, didn't you? You're talking about an Endgame now? Well, both in Endgame and in this movie. The the ending doesn't happen if the Flash doesn't go back in time and undo something. Oh. Well, in, in Endgame, I thought it was a device purely for the sake of being able to revisit all the old sets as opposed to writing themselves in a corner. But that's uh, that's, a, that's a review for another day. Yeah. Um, any, you know, I have this tendency sometimes I watch a movie and I get immersed in it and I watch it on a very surface level it's almost a contradiction in terms I get immersed and I watch it on a surface level Uh, but I just enjoy it for what's on the screen and I don't really start thinking about the moral implications and themes that might be going by me Uh, you know the messages that that they're trying to send so I'm going to ask you guys did you see any 
significant themes, messages, moral dilemmas that you felt they were trying to present to us here? Daddy issues? Yeah, certainly that was yeah. there. Um, that was pretty hardcore with both Cyborg and Barry. Uh, also, to a certain extent, with Superman, but that was more on a positive front. Because uh, it was kind of cool hearing Russell Crowe and, and Kevin Costner again. Uh, and, 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 you know, kind of doing a redo of, of Superman's first flight from, from Man of Steel. I think the main theme of this movie was hope. And which is kind of the exact opposite theme of BVS. This movie was all about Batman putting this team together in memory of Superman and then bringing Superman back because they needed him for defeating the threat that they are about to face. And it's all about people, these characters finding their way out of the darkness they're in. Diana, even though Wonder Woman's revealed to the world, she's still, you know, living her life as a, as a, as somebody who cleans up artwork, you know, and she's out there, but she's doing that because she feels that she needs to make up for all the time that she remained hidden. Bruce is trying to make up for miss, misdiagnosing what Superman was uh, and realizing he was there to give us the hope that we needed. I didn't see that. Now he's dead. Now I have to continue that. I mean, there's that whole scene where he's like, he's coming and Alfred's like, are you sure, sir? How do you know? Faith, Alfred faith. Like, wow, that's really bouncy for the Bruce Wayne. I just saw on the previous film. Cyborg is about overcoming what not only the past problems with his dad, but the fact that his dad turned him and what he turned him into. And Barry is trying to save his father. Uh, and by the way, the scenes with Barry and uh, with, between Ezra Miller and Billy Crudup in this film were amazing. Mm -hmm. I loved both of them. Uh, that has to do with the fact that I love Billy Crudup as a actor, but you know, an Aquaman is even trying to find his place. You know, out of the darkness that he's in. So it yeah, just I seems it was like a plus to give us some some Willem Dafoe in there. I thought that was mm -hmm. I thought that was it added to his characterization. So and, and, you know, he isn't the one thing that I wish they would have would have cut from the film is he throwing the bottle on the ground as he's going into the ocean. Because that's <laughs> it's a very non Aquaman move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like not, not, that's not a Aquaman wouldn't do that move in that you know it, it, it's like a like a creative like you know like well this is just a different version of aquaman it's like no no aquamans <laughs> would, do, would would put glass into the ocean like that so but no i i think it was hope and vindication was and and to a certain extent resurrection were like the themes they were exploring yeah i think we saw batman in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, at the nadir of his existence. The uh, lowest point he could possibly go, or at least this version of the character could possibly go. Um, and Superman brought him up. Superman brought him out. 
Superman brought him to a place where he could believe in the world, believe in himself, believe in faith, all these things. And so we get a story of him going to find all these other characters who are in different ways also at a nadir of their lives. You know, none of the characters, like Mike was saying, none of the characters he finds are happy right now. Um, Wonder Woman is probably the least so. Uh, but she does have, you know, she's not a whole person right now. She's, she says, you know, in the, in the film that she's still grappling with a loss from y'all a hundred years ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, she's not in the best place either. So joining the Justice League is not just. Well, you know, you know, it really, really is like the best version of. I need friends, you know, like Flash says, uh, it's it's bringing them together and using this experience, using this team, using this togetherness to bring them all up. Um, you know, we've we've done a lot of Marvel DC compare and contrast. And so I'll just do this. One of the biggest complaints is, well, you know, Marvel showed us the blueprint. You have all of their characters in their solo films and you explore them and you give them stories and then you bring them together for a team movie. Well, that's great. Um, it has a little bit of a uh, drawback in that the team movie can only really be about a few of the characters in any real way. Most of the characters are just kind of there to help the story move along. This this is a team movie that is also a little small solo film for everybody. This film introduces in a very thorough, fleshed out 3D human way all these new heroes. You know these men and women by the time this story is over. You know them very well. You know what drives them. You know what makes them sad. You know where they should go on their journey from here. And hopefully we'll have the chance to do so in other films. Um, and, and then there's also all the little characters in this film that Snyder was really hoping people would grab onto. He envisioned a Ryan Choi Adam movie with a Chinese cast and Asian creators. And it never got to happen. Um, he brought in the Green Lantern because he wanted to see Green Lantern films. He, you know, brought in Martian Manhunter. He, all of these characters who were in the main lineup were supposed to all get their own films. Hasn't really happened that way. Um, but that was the idea is that you get, we don't just see the team. We get to know the team. So yeah. Um, hope finding a place for your life, finding a reason for your, for your powers and for your existence as a hero. Um, this film definitely does that. And, you know, as far as themes and other stuff along the way, each little person has their own stuff going on. I'm a big narc for daddy emotion stories. And I will tell you that Victor and Silas's story in this, you know, had me edge of my seat the entire time. And whenever he finally dies at the end, I'm like, you know, this man made a lot of mistakes as a father, and he didn't know how to make them right at the end. 
but he did everything he could. Sometimes that's not enough, but maybe it was for this man and his son. Mm -hmm. Maybe his best was enough in this. And I was just wrapped. Um, yeah. You see, now, now I, I heard going into this, I, I tried to avoid spoilers uh, before I watched it, like I always do. But I did hear some non-spoiler discussions. And one of the things they said was, you know, this is really, this is Cyborg's movie. Mm-hmm. And after I finished watching it, I said, I don't see how this was Cyborg's movie because he, you know, he had a significant part just like everybody else did. Everybody had, had you know, I, th- I thought they doled out the uh, the screen time fairly well. Uh, you know, I think the only one who suffered for screen time really was Superman, actually. Um, but he probably had the most complete story arc here, Cyborg. You know, he, he's, he, you know, he was introduced in this. And, you know, he, he had the, the journey with his father. Uh, so, yeah, I agree that he he was the most complete character study here. Uh, you know, Aquaman, you know, we got some things, but then he was going to get his own movie to flesh them out. Wonder Woman, you know, had her own movie and now has had another one. Uh, and, and even, you know, Batman's story arc was really started in, in BVS, uh, and kind of continued here. Uh, and, and I think to some extent it was a little abrupt, much like, you know, we talked about things not necessarily being as organic as they could be. Cause you know, he went from hating Superman to being his, you know, his, his, his most ardent, uh, supporter. But, but I do think that Cyborg had the most significant story arc here. So I, I agree with that. And I, and I, I liked your take on it, John, just as, as you kind of reviewed the father's uh, relationship. I do feel like sometimes daddy issues becomes too much of an easy thing to go after in, in dramatic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I see it so much that unless you're going to give me some sort of new wrinkle to it, I'm going to yawn at some point. Uh, but I didn't think this was done badly. Let's put it that way. Uh, I don't know that it, it really gave us totally new ground either uh and then i just find it amusing that you know steppenwolf is Darkseid's uncle but you know he almost had a daddy issue with 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 dark side can i please come home yeah i just want to come home i've been out here doing stuff for you for like a hundred billion years and you just you just i need fifty thousand more planets damn it <laughs> so now for this movie they uh they did away with the danny elfman score mm-hmm. and they brought back the original uh the original composer who i whose name is is escaping me holkenberg who is also known as junkie xl alternate uh, alternatively uh he and zimmer worked on the score for BVS, and if you would have told me, and I didn't know ahead of time, that this was the same guy that did music for BVS, I would have called you a liar, uh, because the score to this movie was amazing. You can hear some of the themes come in sometimes, but but there's a lot of lot of new stuff in this. It's it's really really great. It is so triumphant. Like well, the well, my understanding is he he went back to square one when they 
decided to release this cut and and scored it from you know from step one uh that he didn't he didn't take any of the existing music that's probably for the best because that music was done for a cut that he was working from before this is a completely new cut and probably trying to i I mean we're all editors here to a certain extent you know sometimes it's better just to start over (laughs) with with the material than, than to try to frankenstein it together so the one thing uh, I no. say, I said going back to the BVS score is, uh, we, we somehow we were talking about it, and I'm saying, the Wonder Woman theme, I should not like that. It, it's just it's not my style of music, and yet every time it comes on, I feel invigorated by it. I, and the, the the actual Justice League theme, I actually put up there with Alan Silvestri's Avengers theme. Uh, in terms of the way it makes me feel, um, I, I I do not dislike the Man of Steel theme, uh, and boy did that piano piece get a workout in this film. <laughs> I mean, it's just like like every five minutes, it's just like I'm gonna go get a cup of coffee. Dun 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 dun. Um, by the way, speaking of coffee, did you all spot Zack Snyder in the coffee shop that Lois comes out of at the beginning of the film? Yes. I did not. I heard about it after the fact. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I was watching it. I was like, that's that's Zack Snyder sitting there. Interesting. Uh, but uh, if you would have told me, hey, Mike, all you really need to like this theme is to do it with horns. When Superman comes in at the end of the film and that theme kicks in full force, I actually yelled, hell yes. It made me so happy to see it play out the way it did, and the music, and then the. I was just like, I've wanted this from this Superman for three films now, and I finally got it. It was just so amazing. That entire sequence, even though a lot of it is similar, like some of the some of the choreography is the same because they were using the same footage. But this version was so much better for Superman as a character. Like, him just kicking Steppenwolf across the room mm-hmm. and just saying not impressed after so using not his, impressed. his super breath super breath to destroy the axe took I like truth, but I'm also into justice out back and shot it execution style for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that, to me, is on par with seeing the original general, would you care to step outside, was supposed <laughs> to be, do you believe in free, freedom of the press? It's like, no, no, your, your better line is here. Use the better line. So, I no, I love the score. I, I bought it as soon as I finished the film. I've been listening to it outside of the film and it, it it's just it's it's such a great collection of music. Okay, well we you know we've been running for a while here, uh, but before we get to ratings, and I kind of suspect I know where you guys are going, uh, but before we get there, uh, any other points that you think well you know warrant discussion at this moment? I can't think of anything. Okay. Or the scenes that we saw 
was fine. I would have liked to have seen the red and yellow S in the shirt rip. Yes, I agree with that. I, I, I thought the black costume was a nice little fan service during the battle, but then they could have gone back to the original. Uh, one question I had, is there anything from the theatrical version of this movie that got cut out that you kind of wish had been left in? Not a damn thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking because I'm trying to. I'm I have two to, things, yeah, and I know yeah, one of them is controversial. Uh, I, I liked the little uh, iPhone footage of Superman at the beginning of the other movie, and I wouldn't have minded if that got worked in. Uh, but the other thing is, as as corny of a joke as it is, I liked Aquaman sitting on Wonder Woman's lasso. Oh, like. <laughs> Unwittingly confessing. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of wish they had kept that in. Those are the two things that I, I would have still kept in here, which obviously Snyder couldn't keep in here because they weren't his. And this is the Snyder cut. But, but those are the only two things that I kind of felt like, yeah, I, I wish those were still in it. I would say that the Superman flash, like little nod to them racing at the end of the original film um, I don't need it to be in this film because it wasn't a Snyder shot. So I'm not saying he should have kept it or anything, but like that's one positive memory I have of that movie that wasn't in this movie. That's a, that's a good point. I honestly, there, there really isn't anything that I can think of because all of the great lines that I thought were Whedon's actually turned out to be Snyder's. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, I, the, I don't know, even the changing of the Lex Luthor Deathstroke scene, uh, which this is this I have to say, uh, because when there is a certain contingent of Snyder fandom that is derisive of anything that came before it. And one of the things I remember around BBS is how. Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is so much more layered and nuanced than Gene Hackman. So why is he dressed like Gene Hackman at the end of this effing movie? I mean, <laughs> I just like, like that surprised me because I thought that was a Whedon thing, but no, it's right there in the Snyder cut too. I just didn't, li- I just didn't like his casting, honestly, as Lex Luthor. And the rumor I had heard was Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor and. I think I would have loved that. The one thing that I I will say about Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is that he at least committed to what he was doing with it. Lex, and and I got this in watching both BVS again and watching the end of this film where Lex says, I, you know, the people at Arkham helped me realize and work through my problems. Lex is mentally unwell. Mm -hmm. He is not right. I don't know if it was the abuse he suffered as a kid or if he's possibly, you know, schizophrenic potentially, or he has like borderline personality disorder or something. There's definitely some mania going on there. And you can see it in the second film. Yeah. And just that, you know, just the way he talks, I think people misinterpreted what that was. Doesn't make me like it anymore, but I at least appreciate 
again, I will appreciate you committing to what you're doing over someone coming in and half-assing it later. <laughs> so, because I can at least then tell you why I don't like it. Um, there really isn't anything from the Whedon cut that I can really think of, um, except for one line. And that's Batman looking at the Flash going, save one, start there. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that that could have fitted here just as well when they're in that first combat situation. Cause Barry is still kind of new to all of this. Um, though I, I, can I say how amazing it was to see Ezra Miller acting like he just had the wind knocked out of him? Like he sounded like he just had the wind knocked out of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was amazing. Like, I, I cannot. There were so many moments in this in this in this cut where I was just impressed with the performances, and that was one of them. I, I don't mean to go down another rabbit hole, but that was the only thing that I would really have wanted to port over into this one because I thought it would have been a good character beat between Batman and Flash. Yeah, because Flash was definitely not really knowing what to do, and Cyborg wasn't the best at giving him guidance on that. Of course, Cyborg's also new to the biz as well, but um, but they figured it out. Well, you know what happened on Cyborg's first day? They saved a bunch of people. So he had a better first day, strictly speaking, <laughs> than Superman did in terms of property damage. <laughs> all right, so all of that said, where are we rating this one? How many Jaws are there? We have Jaws 1 through 4. We have Jaws, Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws 4, and then, which will not apply to this, uh, I forget what the, what the number is from Back to the Future uh, Part 2. What is it, seven, <laughs> Jaws 17? Yeah, something uh, like that. Which I, I apply to a movie that is so bad uh, that it is unintentionally fun. Which actually could apply to Jaws 4 in reality, but that's besides the point. I would honestly rate this a Jaws. No, that's a bold statement, especially coming from me. But I think this movie set out to do exactly what it intended to do. I think it had an epic scope and feel. And I think that it was, despite the, the, what I have will describe as kind of a slow beginning. I think this movie is, not, I can't say Jaws 2 because Jaws 2 implies it's good, but not as good. I would say that this is a Jaws. John? Um, I'm going to go with Jaws. No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, it's definitely Jaws, and I've been regretting writing Not Renome Street as Jaws 2 ever since I was on the show. Um, it's definitely <laughs> Jaws. It's, it's like... Can you go more Jaws than Jaws? Um, but like I said, I've 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 been in love with this entire universe. Seeing this was so gratifying after all these years, so satisfying, and I just I could not have been a happier fan at the end of the film. Okay, and I would never begrudge you guys the joy that you took from this. You know, I can't personally have it at that level for me. Uh, 
but that's, you know, opinions are like uh, a lot of things. We all have one. Uh, for me personally, part of my rating is rewatchability. Now, I think this movie actually has rewatchability, but the four-hour length is daunting and will probably prevent me from doing the rewatches that I would with other movies. I think if they had chopped an hour off of it, it would have much, much better rewatchability. Uh, I think, you know, part and parcel of that is the fact that I, I kind of wish that they, you know, had, had done just be a better editing job to, to, to fix the pacing a little bit for it. Uh, I'm not crazy about the muted color palette. Uh, I don't think that I had a problem with the way anybody was characterized in this, which is a very big difference from my opinion on, uh, on BVS. So I'm a little torn because I want to say as a film, it's a Jaws 2 for me. I think it's firmly a Jaws 2 as a film. But because the rewatchability drops down, I have to bring it to the lower level of Jaws 2 for me personally. Uh, but again, that's not to say that, it, that I think it's a bad movie. I think this, you know, purely from a movie point of view, blows away the first version of it. So I want to thank you guys for coming on and, and going over this with me. Why don't you guys tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, um, go ahead, Mike. Uh, FortressofBailey2.com, which is the home of the Fortress of Bailey 2 podcasting network, uh, which started out as kind of a joke and then has just become this thing where, okay, it's just nice that I have one place where I can tell everybody to find my shows. Uh, I've been very active in the last month, um, maybe a little too much. I was doing three to four shows a week there and uh, just releasing them. But, uh, you know, from crisis to crisis is still going on with uh, Jeffrey Taylor and I looking at the post-crisis for Adventures of Superman. We literally, a week ago, I released the episode that is the official halfway mark of our journey. Uh, we have done 10 years, and we've got 10 years to go. Uh, hopefully it will not take another 10 years to finish it, but that's just where we are. Uh, Overlook Dark Knight is back. Andy and I, Andy Leyland and I just finished up our look uh, or are about to finish up our look at the Jim Starlin run on Batman, which uh, has been an interesting, probably some of my favorite podcasting I've ever done with Andy because we we we've I think we've just hit a groove with those shows. Uh, that is just a lot of fun. And the newest show on the network, because I said I'd do it. This is what happens when you're on Facebook and you say something because you don't think it's going to happen, and then it happens. Uh, I said that if the Tyler Hecklin Superman gets a TV show. I'm going to do a podcast about it. And two of my friends from Dragon Con, Bethany and Allison. Uh, well, it's actually, it was more Bethany going, dude, 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 we got to do this. So we have every Sunday, the Superman and Lois tapes where we look at the CW show Superman and Lois, but coming around the time of this, since the show's on hiatus, we're looking at the Zack Snyder Superman series. <laughs> so uh, we did Man of Steel the other day as if this is recording, and that was an interesting conversation, and I really look forward to everybody hearing it. I am every week 
talking about Silver Age Marvel Comics with my good friend Michael Kaiser over at Make Ours Marvel. We started with the Fantastic Four number one from 1961. We've been going through all of the Marvel Universe comics in the order in which they were released. We are about to wrap up our um, – well, we've passed the sixth calendar year mark. We're about to wrap up 1967. We've just seen the release in our recordings – I don't know when this is coming out, so they may not be on the air yet, but in our recordings, we have passed the debut of Marvel's first new title in years, um, Captain Marvel, and a second war comic, Captain Savage. We're about to see um, all of the splits where the anthology books, Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish, and Strange Tales become their own separate books, Silver Surfers down the pike. Um, the last round of annuals is coming up soon with uh, Peter Parker's parents and the uh, Fantastic Four baby and lots and lots of other stuff coming down the road. So it's an exciting time to be part of the show. X-Men still sucks, but, you know, it's not the 70s yet. So what you're going to do? Rumor has it that I'm a big Marvel Silver Age and Bronze Age fan. So maybe I'll listen <laughs> to that show. I shouldn't just disparage X-Men like that. I like original X-Men. I try to enjoy them. There are just so many comics there that are hard to enjoy. It's funny because I, I, I enjoyed those books very much growing up. And you guys just keep shooting holes in them. <laughs> and I can't disagree with anything that you guys say, but it's like, but that's the X-Men. Come on. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you in two weeks. Oh, contraire, my little fish stick. He knows exactly what it's like to lose someone he loves. You know, like a... a father. Like a mother. Be very careful with the next thing you say. Like an adopted son. Isn't that right? Maybe, in a way, that smelly old flounder is right. Because how many can die in your arms before you grow numb to death? That's not very careful. Now, how many dead eyes can you look into before you die inside yourself? I've been dead inside a long time. But even I have a limit. Before what, Bruce? Kill me? You don't want to kill me. I'm your best friend. Besides, who's going to give you a reach around? Anyway, you need me. You need me to help you undo this world you created by letting her die. Poor Lois. How she suffered so. I often wonder, how many alternate timelines do you destroy the world? Because, frankly, you don't have the colonies to die yourself. Hmm? So as usual, I'll be the bigger man.
truce. Bruce. <laughs> as long as you have this card. The truce. But all you have to do is tear it in half, and I'm happy to discuss with you in any way like why you sent a boy wonder <laughs> to do a man's job. You know, it's funny. You would talk about people who died in my arms. Because when I held Harley Quinn and she was bleeding and dying, she begged me with her last breath that when I killed you, and make no mistake, I will fucking kill you, that I do it slow. I'm gonna honor that promise. You're good. 